Hello and welcome to another episode of Cranky Talk, a show for av geeks and non-av geeks alike. We continue to tackle everything happening in the aviation world in the time of COVID, and today we are going to talk about the Department of Justice and its decision to sue to stop American and JetBlue from working together. Consolidation. Bad. Well, maybe, Dave, but before we get into the details... We're going to first use this sponsor spot to talk about the upcoming Cranky Network Awards. Those are coming to you on February 24th, and you can sign up to sponsor today. We'll talk more about that later. Okay, so listeners, if you don't remember, uh, we talked about this partnership once before uh, when it was first announced. But Brett, uh, can we back up and talk about this from the beginning? Oh, we sure can. So, in 1903, Wilbur and Orville no, no, Wright... No, 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 no. Not that beginning. No? <laughs> not that... All yeah, right. let's not go that far back. Fine, fine. Or you were there, right? <laughs> Funny guy. <laughs> I do look good for a 117, 18-year-old. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Anyway, yes, we... Okay, so if we go back about a decade, when American and U.S. Airways were independent... And JetBlue was this, you know, young buck growing fast. Um, At the time, U.S. Airways had a fair number of slots at LaGuardia in New York. But it decided to do a swap with Delta. So it gave Delta a bunch of the LaGuardia slots and in exchange got some of Delta's Washington National slots. Um, So each airline could consolidate their power where they actually had more of it. Then, meanwhile, American had long been an important player in New York when it came to business markets like LA and London and stuff like that, but it was increasingly becoming less relevant. See, Continental at the time, now United, of course, had continued to build up its massive and important hub at Newark. And meanwhile, Delta built up its New York operations through several shrewd moves, including that US Air one we talked about. American sat there with its finger up its nose. Gross. Continue. Okay, so before American and U.S. Airways merged, American and JetBlue had actually created a loose partnership that allowed them to feed each other, primarily in New York. And it was really just a realization that working together would help push them into a more competitive position, but it wasn't all that helpful the way it was put together. Why not? It was just a a more traditional type of partner relationship that was far from seamless and really wasn't very large. Um, the relationship ended up being killed shortly after the American-U.S. Airways merger. And now they're back together again. Reunited and it feels so good. After last week's religion and this week's singing, you're really trying to kill this podcast. Apparently so. (laughs) But yes, uh, they are back together again. Because a couple years ago, American realized it was being stupid. It was uh, it was pouring capacity into L.A. to feed this Asian hub that just hemorrhaged money. Uh, and it was also putting flights into New York, mostly to try and make it a destination for people coming from other cities. But it wasn't doing well. And the reality is that American alone, it, it just couldn't really make it work um, unless it was fine losing a bunch of money. Or in the very best case scenario... It had to be fine just making a little money and far less than it could make <laughs> elsewhere in its network. Okay, well, that is not how a big, huge, major company is supposed to do business. 
Right. So, American thought about different ways to tackle this problem. And, you know, probably not going to be allowed to buy United or Delta, so forget about that one. And then what it did first is it created this uh, partnership, or I guess re-energized partnership with Alaska. And so that what that did is it allowed them to um, use Alaska's domestic flights to feed new American international long-haul flights from Seattle. So that let American kill the Asia hub in L.A. and move away from that just hot garbage. Uh, but the Northeast, yeah, Alaska doesn't really help in the Northeast. So that was that was a tougher one. So if we look at um, at American in the Northeast, it, it's not just a New York issue. In Boston, American has been a third place airline since 2017, uh, which is when Delta started building up its hub, and so it passed it up to become number two. JetBlue is a far and away number one, by the way. And then as recently as 2012, American, including the U.S. Airways flying, would have been the biggest airline in Boston by far. Now it has. 18% of the market, or that's 2019 seats, um, behind Delta, which has 21, and JetBlue has 33. New York, that's just a giant mess. American's a, a pretty distant third and fourth place behind United and Delta and kind of near JetBlue. Okay. How distant? Well, if we look at the number of seats departing JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark in 2019, which, you know, last full year before the pandemic mm-hmm. here, I remember uh, it followed. Delta had, <laughs> yes, yes, it was a different era. Uh, so Delta that year had over 20 million seats, which was uh, good for about 23% of the market. And then United was just behind at 19.7 million. Uh, JetBlue had just shy of 11 million for nearly 13% of the market. And then there was American with 10.5 million for just over 12%. Okay, so they were pretty uh, pretty far behind Delta and United, but not behind JetBlue. Yeah, th- that's right. I mean, they had very different markets from each other. If you look at JetBlue, they focus on pouring capacity into Florida and the Caribbean, you know, all the big leisure markets. Well, American had a lot of little regional aircraft flying around small cities in the Midwest and some long-haul international stuff. So they, they didn't really have a huge amount of overlap. Yeah, someone's a mullet and one's high and tight. Um, so, <laughs> so put JetBlue and American together and you have uh, a third airline uh, about the same size as Delta and United. Yeah, that was the idea. And the problem in New York is that that's really the only option because the airports are all pretty much full. So it's not like American could just say, forget it, I'm going to double in size and throw a bunch of airplanes in there. It, it can't do that. Um, it, it could do a little more of that in Boston, but it's still gate constrained there. So, you know, that's there was some opportunity for them to grow, and they took advantage of that. Like they added Austin flights and a couple other things, but not not quite the same. But Boston also is just a different animal since the two airlines together, like American and JetBlue, they're a clear number one. They're like half the seats in the market. Uh, but the thing is that JetBlue is still primarily leisure-focused, and you know American looks more toward corporate uh, with your hairstyle analogy <laughs> there. Go ahead. <laughs> so it's not really a, a big, complete overlap here. It's, it's more complementary. Sure. Um, all right. So 
Uh, they put a partnership together before and it failed. What's different this time? Uh, pretty much everything. Great. It's, yeah, it, it's actually pretty creative. So what they did is they came up with a way to compensate each other for taking each other's passengers on their own flights. That's different than kind of the traditional way of doing it in a, in a code share partnership. Uh, we don't know the details because they don't have to give us the details. Uh, but what we do know is that there are more incentives built in when they both do well together. So because of that, they've been able to justify a tighter partnership, which has now become known as the Northeast Alliance or the NEA. Oh, very creative naming there. Yeah, clearly they should have hired a branding <laughs> expert. But the new partnership is similar to what American did with Alaska in that the goal is to make it so the airlines don't care which airline the travelers fly on or which loyalty program they belong to. And because of that, they were able to come to an agreement that would allow them to coordinate schedules and even share airport slots back and forth if one had a better use for it than the other. So it's definitely deeper than the Alaska one in that sense. Okay, and now the government is mad. Well, a part of it is at least, but we'll talk more about that after the break. We're taking sponsor time this week to talk about the Cranky Network Awards. Ah, uh, yes. The time-honored tradition where you hand out awards for network planning excellence. Yes, yes. You can read the script, I see. Uh, <laughs> that, that is correct, though. Script? What script? Yeah. Well, except for the time-honored part, since this is actually going to only be our second one. But uh, what we do, we look through the previous year, find out the airlines that deserve recognition for Oh, we did the sexiest new route or most interesting new city. And last year, of course, we did this all remotely. But this year, we're doing it in person in beautiful Pasadena, California on February 24th, 2022. That sounds fun. I think you actually mean that. <laughs> it is going to be a great couple days with the award show on Thursday night and then a small discussion group the next morning with network folks. We're expecting to have network planners and airline execs from all over the Americas join us, so it should be fun. So what's this going for? Can I come? Uh, we'll have to see if you can get past the bouncer. <laughs> Ooh, but I'll get you on the list if you do a live pre-show cranky talk on the red carpet. Uh, only if our adoring fans really want it. And who doesn't want more Dave? <laughs> I'll just... I can think of a few people. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll just let that dead air <laughs> hang there, but you answered it for me, so that's fine. Uh, but hey... With the best and brightest minds in airline network planning joining the party, this is a great opportunity for sponsors to join in the fun. Which gets us to the reason we're talking about this. Of course. We, we have already announced and are very excited, by the way, that Ontario International Airport is our first big sponsor. That's one of the main reasons we're holding this in Pasadena. You know, uh, I live in Southern California, and Pasadena is most definitely not Ontario. No, no, it's not. I see you've been looking at your Thomas Guide, <laughs> which it may be too old for you to even know what I'm talking no. about. No, my dad still has one in his car. Okay, well, there you go. But Pasadena is roughly the same distance from Ontario and LAX, uh, but Ontario is a whole lot easier. You can get there much closer to departure and, you know, traffic and all that, so... People in sure. Pasadena can always have Ontario in their consideration set, especially now that it has a lot more of these international flights that they can't find in Burbank. Uh, so we know there are plenty of others who'd be interested in sponsoring this event, and we have a whole bunch of different types of sponsorships available. 
If you are interested, email the team at cna-sponsor at crankyflyer.com. Okay, so the government's mad. Well, we're not quite there yet, but we'll get there. So, see, yes, the government was definitely concerned about this partnership reducing competition at both Department of Transportation and the Department of Justice. Uh, But the DOT decided to actually do something about it. Oh, did they lock them up in a dungeon until they agreed to break up? Uh, no. This is this is getting a little dark. Uh, <laughs> DOT worked with both American and JetBlue to put restrictions on the agreement that made them feel comfortable that it would be pro-consumer. Okay, cool. So they made them add legroom and eliminate bag fees? Yeah, you're a funny little man. Uh, No way. No way would the airlines go for that kind of restriction. But they were seemingly happy to agree to a few things that were pretty substantial. So notably, the airlines agreed to give up seven slot pairs at JFK, plus six at Washington National, and those will go to low-cost carriers. And even with that being up, they agreed to grow their pre-pandemic capacity 5% in 2022, and then that increases to 15% by 2025, and if they don't meet the growth targets, they have to surrender more slots to be given to other airlines. Okay, if they have fewer slots, how'd they be able to grow? Well, this was part of the plan all along. Uh, American wanted to do more international long-haul flying, but it, it didn't have enough local loyalty and it didn't have enough people connecting in New York to make it work. Uh, American also wanted to use bigger airplanes than the 50-seaters they had buzzing around on a bunch of short routes. Uh, And meanwhile, JetBlue wanted to grow, especially at LaGuardia, but it didn't have slots. So bring them together allows them to better use the slots and increase capacity pretty easily. But those weren't even all the restrictions. JetBlue also agreed not to pull out of any routes from JFK, which, you know, if they did, would cede the market to American. Uh, And they agreed to exclude the JetBlue transatlantic flying from the agreement. So this was meant to pull out the areas of the biggest concern from a competitive standpoint. And later, the airlines also agreed to pull out six domestic routes from Boston from the agreement uh, because the feds were worried there wasn't enough competition in them. This sounds uh, remarkably comprehensive. That was the idea. And here, let's put a link to the full agreement in the show notes. When this was all said and done, the DOT blessed the deal. And then the outcry began. Finally. What actually happened at first was that Some of the low-cost airlines started complaining that there should have been a public comment process based on precedent. Uh, But American and JetBlue said, well, that's not true. That's not the precedent. And DOT seemed unfazed by the whole thing. Of course, those airlines, like Spirit in particular, of course they're trying to challenge it. They just want to get more slots out of the deal. Uh, (laughs) Especially at LaGuardia, where the original deal with DOT had none in there. All right. You can't blame them for that. No, not at all. This is what spirits should be doing. Those lawyers need to earn their keep somehow. But the fury died down, and the airlines started implementing their plans. And was it awful? Was it some big lie? Conspiracy? Oh, boy. (laughs) Nope. It was the opposite. They pretty much started doing exactly what they said they would. So American American added four long-haul routes to Athens, Delhi, Santiago, and Tel Aviv. And then American added five short-haul international routes and 10 domestic routes from New York, along with six new ones from Boston. It then got rid of all those 50-seat regional jets and replaced them 
with at least 65-seat jets, uh, but those airplanes have first-class and extra legroom seating on them, so it's more business-friendly. And JetBlue dove in as well with eight new routes from New York airports and a whole bunch in Newark. So the whole thing. All right, so this all sounds okay. Did prices jump up or something? Well, it's sort of hard to figure that out. I mean, we're... We're in a pandemic, so <laughs> pricing is still pretty wonky right now. Mm. Uh, but anytime you pour capacity into a market, prices don't usually rise. I, I know it's anecdotal, but you know we've routed quite a few customers to Europe through JFK at Cranky Concierge because it was a lot cheaper than going through another American hub. All right, I'm lost. So what's happening now? Earlier this year... We learned from the Wall Street Journal that DOJ was sniffing around this thing. See, DOJ never gave a sign-off on this deal, but it didn't have to. Uh, it does always have the right to step in and try and fight something if it thinks it's anti-competitive. And it just decided it wanted to do that <laughs> last week, apparently. But it can't just decree this is anti-competitive, you are now broken up. Uh, it has to sue in federal court and try and win the case. All right. Why? Well, the basic argument is that, of course, that this is anti-competitive. <laughs> there, uh, there seems to be a belief, at least based on some of the aggressive wording in the complaint, which it's a great read, by the way, uh, that uh, <laughs> American is this terrible monster that is going to exert undue influence over JetBlue and ruin everything that is good in the world, uh, which apparently includes JetBlue. They, they love JetBlue, if you read this. Well, to be fair, I don't want that to happen. I, I like JetBlue, or at least I used to before they left me. I was going to say, they left Long Beach. I thought they were dead to you now. Yeah, no, they left me personally. Um, <laughs> personally. And uh, I still haven't forgiven them for it. Well, yeah. And, okay, forgetting about that tangent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. The problem, I just I have a hard time finding a really good argument here. They're concerned about American doing all these terrible things like giving a slot to if JetBlue behaves and then taking it away if JetBlue is bad. But the agreement with DOT says that anytime a slot is given, it has to stay with that airline for about a year, two IATA seasons, uh, which just call it a year, <laughs> before they could take it back or anything. And I imagine if that wasn't good enough, they could find a way to bulk up the protections more. But it doesn't seem like the lawsuit should be needed if, if that's really the only concern. All right, so there has to be more to it. Of course. So DOJ turned to its favorite tool, the uh, Herfindahl-Hirschman Index, or HHI, which I know, Dave, you use in your everyday life. Yep. Uh, th this is a calculation that measures market concentration, and they use it for merger evaluations to see if, if it's you know going to concentrate things too much. Uh, but, hey, you won't be surprised to hear that if you look at New York or Boston, they become more concentrated if you count American and JetBlue as a single entity. Right. But they aren't merging and can't talk about pricing. So aren't they two separate entities still? They are. And I'm sure we'll hear plenty of arguments from the airlines about that. But the thing is, it, it also just doesn't really make sense when you think about industry dynamics. And tell the listeners what you mean. Okay, so yes, there is an increase in concentration. That's going to happen. But there may be such a thing as good concentration, which seems to be something that's not really appetizing for DOJ to consider. <laughs> but, but think about New York. You have United, which is huge, and Delta, which is huge. 
And you have JetBlue and American, which are semi-competitors, but they aren't nearly as strong, especially when it comes to loyalty and corporate travel. So you bring them together, not in a merger, but in this you know, newfangled type of alliance, and all of a sudden you have a real competitive third airline in New York. So if you think about all the routes they added and all that, it seems like an improvement in competitiveness, not a decrease as DOJ seems to believe, but it's it's hard to wrap your arms around that if you're just using this HHI blindly. And I should note, using the HHI from before they made any of these changes. Okay, so sure. But what about Boston? Now the two airlines will control half the seats together there. Boston is definitely different. And right now you do have a strong JetBlue flying to a ton of places as a leisure-focused airline. Like I said earlier, over the last few years, Delta smelled opportunity, so it built a hub of its own there, and it's grown significantly, and it's really targeting the corporate traveler, which you know JetBlue has some of that. And then in Boston, too, American still has a decent loyalty base, and it had actually started up trying to build Boston a little bit with a few flights here and there before the pandemic, but it, it can't really rise to the level of what it needs to be truly competitive on its own. The, the market and the airport are both probably too crowded. <laughs> if you bring the two together, you have a more realistic competitor to Delta in the corporate market, but the two airlines would still be a lot bigger overall. Um, and I know there are arguments to be made on both sides here, but if I were DOJ, I'd probably focus here on getting concessions because it's a more obvious case. But yeah. Okay, so make JetBlue and American give up a bunch of slots? Well, it's tricky here because Boston doesn't have slots. It does have gate constraints, so maybe you force them to give up the gates. I mean, I'd be fine with that idea. I think that makes sense if, if there's really a need for it, but I don't actually know who would want to pick them up. Maybe one of the ultra-low-cost carriers or Southwest, but they're all in there already with flights, and I'm not sure how much more they'd actually want. Is this what we think is really going to happen? Just give up a bunch of slots and call it a day? That would make the most sense, probably. Then DOJ can look like the hero that had you know, busted up big business and was able to save one for the little guys or whatever, but then everyone still gets to go and do what they want to do. But you'd think that that would have been something they could have come to an agreement in before the feds decided to follow suit with the legal challenge. I mean, some have told me that the DOJ doesn't really seem interested in settling and and wants to break it up entirely. So I'm I'm just not sure where this ends up. Okay, well, it seems like there may be some consumer benefits, but it's early and we don't know what negative effects may come down the line. Yeah, and that is definitely what DOJ is focusing on. Uh, I don't know if there's been a negative effect anywhere. I haven't seen one. I mean, the the positive effects are very tangible with the route announcements and stuff like that. But the thing is, this isn't a merger. DOJ could just wait. And if it finds some harm, it finds something wrong, then it could sue when it actually has that instead of doing it preemptively. So that that's where I'm kind of confused because you know, in a merger, you can't do it, it, it like five years later, like, hey, you guys are, are merged now for five years, but we're going to break you up. I mean, that's you, you can do an antitrust breakup. We've seen it before, like, you know, standard oil or something. But yeah, and the baby uh, bells. Yeah, right. But ultimately, this isn't that tight. So you could break it up anytime. Sure. Well, the new administration has made 
competition a major focus um if this is indeed a preamble to a merger down the line i could see why doj would want to make a lot of noise and stop it in its tracks um there are plenty of non-airline mergers that have turned south in the decade after the last recession so i can see their caution even uh if in this case it may be too early uh right now this feels like uh it's a lot about politics but uh i guess we'll see how it turns out well, that we will. And it is most definitely about politics. It, maybe <laughs> DOJ will actually settle and, and just want to look like that hero. Or maybe it'll take this thing to the finish line. But either way, get that popcorn ready. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to Cranky Talk. We'll be back with more deep dives and helpful tips for these turbulent times. And remember, if you want to sponsor the Cranky Network Awards, and you know you do, <laughs> send us a note at cna-sponsor at crankyflyer.com. And if you'd like to be a sponsor of Cranky Talk, let us know. Email us at advertise at crankyflyer.com and please remember to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. This helps others find our podcast. Dave, I believe uh, you got some reviews this week. We did. We, we got a review. Um, it's a one-star review. So, Boo. Uh, really not happy with you, person on iTunes. Um, <laughs> the, 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 uh, I got some personal reviews for, for the, uh, last podcast. Uh, so thank you for, thank you for listening. Um, people who wrote in, um, so this review on iTunes, uh, just regurgitating what you already know. Um, and I should warn you, there are personal shots to Brett, um too political um too many goofy awkward laughs that's probably me um and most importantly cranky does not even fly often Ooh, shots fired i don't i don't even Uh, understand what that means (laughs) plenty of better blogs podcasts etc to get your new airline information and news from i mean this is this is not just a review for the podcast (laughs) this is entire media (laughs) Wow. Well, yes, that's that's nice. And now I do have to say here, the name on here, uh, (laughs) this is someone that that almost briefly worked for us. I wonder if it's the same person there. Yeah, I think. uh, Yeah, I think it might be. It could be. I mean, he. Yeah. Okay. Well, Well, that was a long time ago. If you're listening. Sorry, I guess, for not flying that much. I don't think he's. I don't think he's listening. But if he is, <laughs> there's my awkward laugh. Yeah. Is that no? Yeah. All right. I'll I'll try and fly. I'm supposed to be flying soon. Hey. So there you go. Anyway, good stuff, Dave. And by that I mean not at all. But thanks for sharing it. <laughs> and now, everyone else, if you have suggestions for what you'd like us to cover in a future show, let us know via email at info at crankyconcierge.com or. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook at Cranky Concierge. And if you're looking for the top daily airline news stories, you can subscribe to Cranky Daily at crankydaily.com. 